0: Well, this semester here at Grafted, we'll be working our way through the book of Genesis on Friday nights. Yes, there you go. We've titled this series Origins. It's an Old Testament study for the professor. Where is he? There he is in the back over there, our Hebrew and Greek scholar. Um, and this will take us all the way back to the beginning. And I'm excited to dive in with you as we study this amazing book. Just out of curiosity, how many people here have uh, read all the way through the book of Genesis? Just a hands up, most of you have. How many of you have heard uh, a, a, a series preached on the book of Genesis? Okay, a few less people. We've probably all heard messages on Genesis 1 in creation and Genesis 3 in the fall. and probably some messages on Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, etc. Uh, we are going to be diving in, maybe for the entire year, definitely for this semester, into this book. We'll see how far we get and how far we desire to go. But let me begin our series by quoting a theologian named Henry Morris. For those of you who don't know Henry Morris, you might remember that Mike Loomis, who's now in basic training applied for the master's university He's a creation buff and henry morris has written an incredible commentary on genesis and whenever somebody applies at a college and i get to write the letter of reference i always include things that are just really ridiculous just to see if they're actually reading these recommendations and no one ever reads them but michael loomis had a henna tattoo of henry morris's face on his right bicep and that was on there and uh, i never got a response to that but he did get in ladies and gentlemen he did get in anyway henry morris Said this The future is bound up in the past. One's belief concerning his origin will inevitably determine his belief concerning his purpose and his destiny. I like this. I'm going to read one, one more time. The future is bound up in the past. One's belief concerning his origin will inevitably determine his belief concerning his purpose and his destiny. In other words, what you believe about your past will dictate what you believe about your future. And this certainly speaks to the bigger questions that roll around in our hearts and from time to time that take us captive as we lay awake at night and even ponder our existence. There are three main questions that we come to Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? You can even add into there a fourth, why is life so hard? These questions have existed for generations and men and women have sought to answer in just about every conceivable place. Most, many go to science to answer the questions of origin, purpose, and destiny. Today you'll find that the prevailing scientific hypothesis that explains our universe is the theory of evolution. That is that each of us have developed from a common ancestor, through the process of natural selection and genetic change, all of which was set off by an explosion which gave the necessary spark to life some billions of years ago. Near the end of his life, famed astronomer and evolutionist Carl Sagan was asked, do you, sir, have any words of wisdom for the people of the world? Carl Sagan replied, quote, we live on a hunk of rock. This was his answer. Do you have any any words of wisdom to us? Anything you tell us, your entire lifelong study of the sciences, you're known by the entire world. This was 1996, he since has passed away. What, what can you tell us? What will science tell us? He replied, quote, we live on a hunk of rock and metal that circles a humdrum star that is one of 400 plus billion other stars that make up the Milky Way galaxy which is one of billions of other galaxies, which make up a universe, which may be one of a large number, perhaps an infinite number of other universes. That is well worth pondering, end quote. I don't question Sagan's response. His answer is relatively true, but certainly it's less than satisfying, isn't it? And looking at the universe and all of his study, his conclusion is that you and I are part of a vast universe that is filled with impersonal forces and that our life on the cosmic scale ultimately amounts to nothing. Just a piece of matter that is here today and gone tomorrow and ultimately has no greater purpose. But I will tell you that the human heart is not satisfied with that answer. How can it be? It wants more. We want more. We crave more. We must know more. Purpose and fulfillment and destiny are woven into our souls. These are the questions of our heart, and science only gives us the answer to what. It only answers how did it happen and what happened, or attempts to answer that. It does not answer why. Has your heart ever told you that there is more, more to this life, more to this universe? Then there must be something more than this existence that I'm in. Have you ever felt that you were made for something greater? Have you ever desired meaning and purpose in your life? I know that you have. I know that all of us have. We've all looked, at the, looked up at the stars. We've all watched the sun dip into the ocean at sunset. We've maybe stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon and recognized not just that we are a small speck in this vast universe like Carl Sagan did, but more importantly, that there is something or someone who is much greater than us. And our hearts long to know who or what that is. Back to Henry Morris, one's belief concerning his origin will inevitably determine his belief concerning his purpose and his destiny. This evening, as we begin to study um, the book of Genesis, we seek to answer the question, why? The question why is an important question. And our approach will not be scientific, although we will look at science. Our approach will not be philosophical, although we look at philosophy. Our approach is theological. This is a worldview question. It is a watershed issue at the top of your life that determines which pathway you will go and determines how you will view the world around you, how you will function in this world, how you will find a mate, how you will marry and raise kids, how you will live as a family, and ultimately how you will die. Will you look at the world through a natural, or through a theological lens. And the answer to that question determines everything about who you are, why you're here, and where you're going. Now, let me tell you where we stand tonight here at Grafted. We believe in a biblical worldview. That is to say that we turn to the pages of Scripture, to the Bible, to find answers to life's greatest questions. Because the Bible speaks not only of our past and where we came from, not only of why we're here and what our purpose is, but also where we're going after we die. And in that, it answers life's most difficult questions. And if I can't tonight, I wanna to lay out the big story of the Bible from beginning to end for you, and this will help to frame our study. We're not gonna get into Genesis today other than a few passing comments. I just wanna set up where we're going and in the weeks that come, we'll be diving into the text and systematically working our way through the book. But tonight, I just wanna offer a sweeping picture of history and the purpose of everything. How's that? i are gonna talk about the purpose of everything. The Bible splits all of human and divine history into four acts, four scenes. Four different timetables or perspectives uh, as we look at the grand story of God's full design and purpose. You may have heard this before, let me give them to you really quickly. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Two of these are in Genesis. The rest spread through the the rest of the Bible and into future history. Let me walk through these really quickly. Tonight's message is gonna be short. You have my word. Okay, number one in this, the first act is creation. Creation, the Bible opens, the scene is set, the the, the players are there and the curtain is pulled back and the first thing we see in the Bible is the story of creation. You'll recognize the first words of the Bible, say them with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Next week, we're gonna tear into that with a lot more detail. But for brevity this evening, at the spoken word of an all-powerful and sovereign being, in six literal 24-hour days, God made everything. The culmination of His creative power came in the sixth day when He made man and woman in His own image, creating them to have a relationship with Him and gave them dominion over all of his creation, placing them in a beautiful garden. Having completed his work, he declared, all along the way, it is good, it is good, it is good. And at the end, he said, it is very good. That is to say, all that God made was perfect. Without error, without mistake. He never once missed the the nail and hit himself on the thumb in all that he made. He he never once made a mistake in anything along the pathway. He created a paradise that was absolutely perfect. That is God's creation, and that is scene one. Scene two is the fall, the fall. Into this perfect setting made by God, the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, our parents, our first parents, were deceived by the serpent who was God's enemy and willingly chose to disobey God's express command eating the forbidden fruit. We'll talk about this more and why it wasn't just about eating an apple, what this really meant and what the, uh, the devious nature of this sin, the defiant nature, as they sought to be like God, to control their destiny. And in this act of rebellion, they brought sin into this universe. <clears throat> as a result of their sin, God cursed the earth. It's Genesis 3. Part of that curse meant that work would be difficult and tedious, that the earth would fight back. And if you feel that ever as you go to work, I saw something from AJ who's working in his backyard right now, laying pipes and trenching things and getting his backyard together. The earth fights back. And if you stop paying attention to it, it grows weeds and thistles and thorns. And it's a pain in the neck trying to just keep order at place. Uh, But that was God's curse, is that as... Um, sin has entered, the earth will now fight back. Work was never a curse. It's the fact that work is difficult that makes the curse, if that makes sense. And again, we're coming to this in a few weeks. Man would then live by the sweat of his brow. Woman would give birth through extreme pain and all of life would enter into a cycle. Over and over again, we'd see the same thing, a cycle of birth, of pain, of suffering, and of death. Repeat, birth, pain, suffering, and death. And generation to generation would enter into this. And in that, in that moment, in their sin, the relationship that they had with God, where they were able to walk with God and talk with God in more perfect communion with God was permanently severed and a great gap entered in because God is holy and man is now sinful and cannot be in the same place together. Man was barred from entering the presence of God. And the death that entered at... I should say death entered at the fall, and it was not just a physical death, but spiritual. When God says, today you will die if you do this, they didn't die physically, but they did die spiritually and that physical death would come as we've seen. No longer was man able to walk with God, to know God, but sin separated him and that separation would lead to his physical death on earth and his eternal death being separated from God forever. That is what theologians call the fall. So in scene number one, you have creation. In scene number two, you have the fall or the wrecking of God's perfect plan um, and perfect creation. That takes us to act three, which is redemption. Redemption. God would not leave man in his sin. Interwoven into the curse of Genesis 3, God made a promise, a forward-looking promise where he guaranteed that death would not be the end, that he would not leave man in his sin or abandon him forever. Right there at the beginning, right there where he cursed the earth, right there where he said there will be separation, he promised that one day a man would come who would rescue humanity from sin by defeating God's enemy and conquering death. And that all of our hope as a race was wrapped up in this coming Redeemer. And throughout the Old Testament, you're thinking, yeah, that's Jesus. That's like New Testament. Why are we still in Genesis? Because throughout the Old Testament, starting in Genesis three and working through the rest of Genesis and into Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, don't forget about numbers, and all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the Old Testament, there are whispers and there are shadows of this Redeemer who would come. There are pictures and types and symbols of what we would see and one day actually appreciate as the Lord Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter three, there's an animal sacrifice. You may not have noticed this at the very end of the chapter. God curses the earth and then at the end of the chapter, it says He covers Adam and Eve with animal skins. He takes their nakedness and their shame and he slays animal and takes the skins from them and he covers their nakedness. It's the first picture of a covering for sin. How about that? In Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9 and beyond, you have the flood where God judges the earth through water, but not before he allows Noah to build a boat, an ark in which he places people who are carried across the wrath of God to the other side while all others are destroyed, a picture of the coming Messiah who would save people from sin. And on and on it goes. You can look at the sacrifice of Isaac, who as an innocent son carried wood on his back up a hill to be sacrificed. And more clearly there in Genesis 16:17 is is the fact that in the thicket, there was a ram who was caught by his horn who would be the ultimate sacrifice or substitute. Going into Exodus, you have a Passover lamb. As the people are in Egypt, and the plague after plague is hitting the Egyptians, and you get to the final plague, and God says, take a lamb, slay the lamb, pour its blood into a bowl, take a hyssop branch and paint blood on the doorpost all the way around it. So that as the angel of death comes by and the judgment of God comes, the angel will see that death has already occurred here. There's already a payment for sin given in that animal. That animal's blood now covers this household. And so death would pass over, God's judgment would pass over. All of that is a picture of the coming of the, the sacrificial lamb, the one true lamb of Jesus Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of God would wait longingly for their coming Messiah, and generation after generation would die and return to dust, having never seen the promise of God fulfilled. That is, until the day that Mary and Joseph walked into the temple with an eight-day-old Jesus Christ. And Simeon, old as sin itself, this old man standing there, approaches them, grabs the baby out of their arms and says a a bunch of things and prays to God, but this statement, my eyes have seen your salvation, Luke chapter two. In the person of Jesus Christ, all the promises of God from Genesis three on would be fulfilled. On the cross, the son of God will give his perfect life for our sinful lives and pay the penalty for sin. He would redeem us, save us and seal us in his blood. And we see that God accepted the sacrifice because he raised him from the dead, showing that he had conquered both sin and death forever. And he would remove the barrier that separates a sinful man from a holy God. If you remember back to the garden at the end of Genesis 3, there is a flaming sword that guards the way to the presence of God and there are cherubim, the highest of all the angels who keep watch, guarding the pathway so that, and we'll look at this, so that man cannot enter back into the garden and take from the tree of life. Because if man was to eat from the tree of life, not the tree of good and evil, if he was to eat from the tree of life, what would happen? He would what? He would live forever in a damned state. Immediately unable to die, he would live separated from God because of that. And so God barred the the way to his holiness, into his presence with these angels. God in that moment said, you cannot come into my presence. When Christ goes to the cross, and he dies, what happened to the veil of the temple? It is torn in two from top to bottom, as if to say, I am now opening the presence of God that's been separated since the fall to a sinful man can now enter into the presence of a holy God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, redemption has happened. Sin has been paid for and a sinful person can come because of the righteousness of Christ and have the same walking and talking and knowing of God relationship with him because of what Jesus has done as he had in the garden. Sin is removed, death is conquered, and we can know our creator once again. That's redemption. So you have creation, you have the fall, you have redemption, and then scene four is you have restoration. And the Bible speaks of everything I've said so far in past tense. Creation has happened. The fall has happened. Redemption has happened, at least in the work of Christ. Restoration is still to come. Restoration is in the future. While God's people have been redeemed, we still very much live on a broken planet, don't we? Uh, Even the planet itself is crying out for redemption, Romans 8 says. It's groaning for that day. We still suffer through pain and sickness and death, and we will until the day that Jesus returns to make all things new. There is a day coming, there is a day fixed on the divine calendar in which the trumpet will sound and the Lord will descend and he will mete out judgment to his enemies and bring his people home. And in that day, he will wipe away every tear. He will banish death forever and he, we will always be with him. And the world will pass away with intense heat and he will create a new world. It will be a paradise restored. It will be Eden all over again as he sets up his perfect rule and reign, which will be forever. And if you're looking at the Bible, that is the Bible's big story, that God made everything according to his plan of purpose, that man destroyed everything according to his sin, that God decided to redeem us based on his own sacrifice and ultimately to bring restoration in the future. That's God's big plan. That was his design. And it starts in the book of Genesis in those three words, in the beginning. That's where this begins, and it frames for us, this origins conversation frames for us where we came from, why we're here, why even there's suffering, and where we're going. So can I just go back through this one more time and bring this into our world uh, very briefly? Creation, this explains where we came from. You and I are the unique creation of God Himself, made in accordance with His will and for His glory. This is why you as an individual, deep down in your heart, know that God exists. Ecclesiastes 5 says that he has placed eternity in each man's heart. Romans chapter 1 says that all you have to do is look around you at creation, and every one of us knows that God exists. He's placed the knowledge of himself inside of each of us. And our hearts, C.S. Lewis said, are not satisfied until we find ourselves in him. We're looking to fill that God-shaped hole as the theologian Bono once said. And we look to lesser things, money, pleasure, relationships, and so many others, but all leave us short. Only God can fill the longing. Only he can satisfy the human heart. Where we came from, we came as the specific, intentional design of a good and sovereign God. You are here because he made you. Okay? Okay? Augustine said we are he said this our hearts are restless r- excuse me our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Have you ever felt that? I certainly have. Why am I here? What is this all about? You lay there thinking it's not just about getting a job although I wish I had one. It's not just about making a lot of money although I wish I could do that. It's not just about having a relationship although I wish I had that as well. There's something more here. But that takes us from creation. That takes us on to the fall. And the fall explains to each one of us why life is so hard. Sorry, even I'm distracted. (laughs) The fall explains the question of evil. Where did evil come from? Where did suffering come from? Where did natural evil come from, like hurricanes, viruses, and earthquakes, and fires? This answers the question of moral evil, that sin marred the hearts of men so that we are evil by nature, desiring only selfish ends. This is why there's war and racism and abuse and poverty. The fall answers the question of supernatural evil, that there is a devil, that there are demons, that there is a force working according to Ephesians 6 that we heard on Sunday morning at church, um, that we cannot see and that there is no restraint currently That he is the prince of the power of the air and he is working in the sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2 said. This answers the question of eternal evil. That is death, and eternal judgment a place called hell in which god will collect all of his enemies and judge and punish them forever the fall answers the questions of why is life so hard it's to help us understand that you and i live in a broken world and it's the reason why when you watch that disney movie and everything ends happy and you feel so good in your heart but then you walk out of the theater and get into a fight with your family you're like what what the heck i was so happy just a minute ago Here's the bottom line, you're part of the problem. And so am I. Have you not noticed that everywhere you go, problems follow? Everywhere I go, there's a disagreements. Tracy will tell me often, I was so looking forward to when you got home. Like all day I've been hoping that you'd come home. And then I walk in the door and immediately I say something that's just dumb. And she's like, can you go back out and start? Like this is, this is what happens. Our world has been permanently marred by sin. Every sickness that you've ever been through every disease that you faced, all of the poverty and hatred and divorce and all forms of sin that leave you empty, riddled with guilt and filled with shame are a result of the fall. It is why you stand over the grave of a loved one and weep. It's why death exists. It is why you feel empty and lonely and sometimes even depressed. Listen carefully. God never intended you to go through these things. He did not build a world and put you in a place where He intended it for, for everything to be broken and you to have a miserable existence. He made men and women to be in perfect communion and ultimate joy with Him. We are the ones that brought ourselves into sin and in the fall and created this brokenness. And just in case you're thinking back about, man, those idiots, Adam and Eve, how could they do this? You'd have done none better me too i still sin even though i know it's wrong i can't get away from it we cast ourselves down deeper every time we reject his rule but god didn't leave us there back to redemption one day a savior came god offers to fix us to rescue us to bring us back from our self-induced misery through his son, we could have our sins washed away, our guilt removed, all of the shame that we feel forever, forever cleansed. And we can be restored and made whole. What an amazing God that he wouldn't just leave us there in our misery like we would do. A lot of times you kind of got a project working, and it's not working out, you just go, I'm just gonna scrap it and start over. God didn't do that. He came into that broken situation and said, I'm gonna fix this. I'm going to make this right. And he did that in each of our hearts. That moment that Christ came and we accepted him and we fell on our knees asking for forgiveness and trusting in him for salvation, asking, Lord, would you make me new? Would you take away all the brokenness and fix me from within? That's what God does. And he does it on day one and spends the rest of his, his life, the rest of our life, working our sanctification, which is constantly bringing us closer and closer to Christ, closer and closer to Him, which is an increase in our joy and satisfaction. And then restoration. One day we will be with Him forever in a perfect place to enjoy His presence. And there are good days today back to Disney. If you go to Disneyland, you spend time thinking, this is awesome, amazing. I love being here. I was at Magic Mountain with my daughter two weeks ago, and we were on... What's the white one? Not Revolution, but the one that goes up and hangs upside down. The one that shoots out of the gate. Full throttle. full throttle. Okay, so we were sitting in the front. Haley and I. And that thing shoots like a gun. And I had my glasses like this, okay? Because it's really weird when you're going, like, so many things happening that it was giving me a headache. So I had them hanging like this. And full throttle, if you've ever been there, you, it's like it shoots you out of a gun and you go straight towards this massive loop. Okay, and then you go, and Haley clocked it. From the time you hit the bottom of the loop to the time you come out the other side, it's seven seconds. So it goes fast enough that just as you get over the top like this, it almost just kind of hangs there, and there's just enough gravity and momentum to pull you over the other side, and then you speed up, you go through the rest of the ride, and then you come at the very end, and you go over the top of the loop on the other side of it, and you come down, like straight down the steep end, and then it shoots you back and you stop on the other side. It's a great ride. We're on this loop and we're upside down, basically hanging there. And all of a sudden, my glasses just choop, choop, choop. I just saw them. They were floating like this away, all the way down. And as we went down the other side, they were right next to us. We passed them on the way down. And they were gone forever. And then she she just said, I don't, you're, Dad, you're so dumb. Why wouldn't you put them in a better spot? They just. That was so, so stupid. And then the next ride we went on was Twisted Colossus and we were in the front again. And Twisted Colossus, have you, anybody been on the old Colossus versus the new Twisted Colossus? So the old Colossus is just wood. And the new one's just wood also, but the old one's like rattly and it's like, you feel like the whole thing might just collapse. Well, they put these big, long tracks on there now and that ride is flat out fantastic, okay? It's really good. So we're going down the first hill and it is an 80 degree drop. If you don't know what that means, 90 degrees is straight down, so it's like, if this is straight down, it's like this. It's a fraction. And we're going down that thing, and she's so little in those seats, and she comes up like this, and her phone was in her back pocket. Little jean shorts. And when she came down like this, the phone hit and just flew out the side. And uh, and I said, Haley, you're so dumb. Why did you put your phone? No, I did not say that. It was very traumatic, because we wanted to find my iPhone. Anyway, we, we never got it back. So... Yeah, so, okay, we're back. We're at Disneyland because that's happier than Magic Mountain. Right, and and uh, and in it, God never intended us to have problems in life. He built us to be in perfect relationship with him. And in restoration, one day, all the pain and suffering of this world will be a just a memory of the past. Something that's like when you think back about kindergarten, how much do you remember about that? Not a whole lot. I've got like two or three memories. One of which was when I brought a big jar of pennies, glass to, for show and tell, and I dropped it and broke it. And it shattered everywhere. And everybody came and stole all my money. And my friend from down the street, Jason Colton, back, who we call the dreaded Jason, he, he came back and he had like 12 pennies and he handed them back to me. What a good friend, right? Anyway, I don't really understand how I get there. But you don't remember much about kindergarten. This is how it's going to be in heaven is that we're going to have memories and we're going to remember and we're going to know each other. we got to get into this in some future time. But it's all going to be just a thing of the past. All the suffering and pain of this world will be just a memory. In Psalm 1611, it says in God, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That's so cool. God's plan is perfect. It really is. And in his Bible, he answers the question, where did you come from? You and I are the creation of God himself, made in his image. Ultimately, if we ask, why are you here, question number two, you're here to have a relationship with him and to enjoy him forever. That's why God made you. If you wanna know why there's suffering in the world, It's because we chose to disobey God and go our own direction. And if you want to know where you're going, everybody who names the name of Christ, who submits their life to him and follows Jesus Christ, fighting forgiveness for their sins, will be with him forever. So one more time, Henry Morris said, one's belief concerning his origin will inevitably determine his belief concerning his purpose and his destiny. What you believe about your past will in many ways shape what you believe about the future. And if you look back to the past and say, well, random, um, you know, random chance multiplied by multiple billions of years to bring about this current result, but ultimately I don't know what the purpose is in that other than I'm just on a rock hurtling through space versus the divine design of God in your life, you're gonna have a different outlook, right? One is philosophical or scientific. Ours will be theological, as we look at what the Bible says. And that's why we're studying Genesis, so we get a bird's eye view on what the Bible says about where we came from so we can better understand both our purpose and our destiny. So on that note, let me just lay out where we're headed in the coming weeks. Next week, we're gonna look at creation. We'll dive deep into Genesis 1, walk through all six days. And the week after, we're gonna look at creation versus evolution. It'll be somewhat topical, somewhat discussion, not discussion oriented, but we'll be looking in and out of the Bible uh, at some rational reasons and logical reasons, but ultimately seeing what the scripture teaches about evolution. Does it have a place in the mind and heart of a Christian? We'll look at what the Bible says and we're going to end, I'll tell you where we're ending. We're going to end that there is a universe that was created without evolution in six literal, 24-hour days by a sovereign, all-powerful God. So there's the end, in case you wanted to know. Okay, moving on. We'll spend uh, more than one week, probably two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, I'm not sure yet, in Genesis chapter two, looking at the design of men and of women. God made man in His image. God took a rib out of man and created woman. And that whole chapter talks about His design for men and women. Do you know there are only two genders? God made man, God made women. Do you know that God lays out His His, uh, design for men and the purpose of men, what they're supposed to be and do as the, the guardians, the leaders, the providers, the protectors. Do you know that God lays out the roles for women as to be the helpmates and the supporters? It's blurred in our world today And we don't see this clearly, but in Genesis, going back to the beginning, we will see in black and white what God's design is for you as you seek to be a man of God and as you seek to be a woman of God, to understand how He made you, why He made you that way, and how you can live for His glory here on this earth. By the end of that, we're going to look at at the topic of marriage, which comes at the end of Genesis 2, and we're going to see that all of you want to get married, pretty much, right? Um, and But we're gonna study marriage and what God's design for marriage is, what we call the mingling of souls. But marriage has been redefined, it's been abused. And in some places in our culture, it's totally unrecognizable. So we're gonna see what constitutes a marriage. We're gonna see what breaks up a marriage and what you need to know and understand in order to pursue marriage. We're gonna look at how Genesis 3, the fall um, happened, how sin entered into God's universe we'll answer the question very specifically of where did evil come from? If you want one to just get your mind really going, okay, you can think about eternity past, and eternity future. That will just twist you in a lot of ways. Go work on where did evil come from? Go work on that one, okay? Because it's a, that, that one is, you're not gonna come to an answer. There's the end. But go think about that. Where did evil come from? And see what you got. Come back to me with that. I'd love to talk to you before this message. Um, And and you could ask the question also, why would God allow evil? We'll see the curse of God and get a better understanding of why our world is so messed up. Then we'll go to Genesis 4 and go to the world's first crime scene. And we're going to go there as detectives and study how uh, Cain, in the first homicide, killed his brother Abel and understand all the points of what's going on in that in this less than perfect family and see some lessons in that. We'll spend a couple weeks in Genesis six, looking at the flood, Genesis six through nine. We'll start by looking at the depravity of sin, how evil sin is, how it says there in Genesis six, nine, that the thoughts, of the hearts of men were only evil continually. How in just six chapters, it went from perfection all the way down to a point that was so evil that God said, I need to wipe out all of humanity and start over, but I'm going to save eight souls. We'll look at that, which is crazy. And then we'll look at, at the flood in the week that follows. And it's not the story of, of uh, um, a cork board or a felt board. It's not the picture or the puzzle you put together or the children's story. This is the most severe judgment of God outside of the cross that has ever been experienced in human history. It, the story is, it's gasping when we take a look at this, you're not gonna wanna miss that one. When God wipes out all but eight souls from the entire planet. We'll move on to Genesis 11, see the Tower of Babel, the building and the development of nations and languages and how culture developed, which explains much of what we see in our world today. Very interesting topic. And then I think that might be the fall. In the spring, we're going to move on to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and see God's plan of redemption unfold. But the story of Genesis, just as I close here, is pretty simple and repetitive. God makes something good and perfect. Man blows it, basically. And then God, by his grace, forgives and restores. God makes something good man ruins it, God restores it. That's the story. Adam and Eve sin. Cain kills Abel. Noah, who's called in 2 Peter a preacher of righteousness, gets drunk and exposes himself to his sons. Abraham lies about his wife Sarah. Sarah doubts God. Isaac fails miserably as a husband and a father. Jacob is a deceiver and a trickster. And 10 of Jacob's sons lie and sell Joseph into slavery. One of them even sleeps with a prostitute and tries to cover it up. The story of Genesis from beginning to end does not look favorably at man. Generation after generation after generation, we see men and women failing. But the story of Genesis does look favorably on God generation after generation after generation we see the faithfulness of god to forgive and restore because he's gracious and he loves us and that same story is still true today is it not so i'm looking forward to diving into this with you in the coming weeks if you are a christian a follower of jesus christ one who has pledged allegiance to jesus and follows him as king and lord i want to encourage you to keep coming and seeing what the Bible says about your purpose in life. And the prayer is that God would draw you closer to himself so that we can see what a great God we serve. If you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to keep coming. to to ask questions, to keep listening. All we're gonna do is open the very first book of the Bible and walk through what's in the text. And you're gonna be able to see this laid out week by week as we layer upon layer God's plan for His creation and ultimately will speak to you and to your heart. And if you open up your heart, it will speak and show you how you can have a relationship with your Creator. And we would love to help you in that pathway. Like I said, the very beginning of the night, Our purpose in meeting is to help college students know Jesus Christ. It is our only ambition in being here and we help, we hope we can help you in that process. It's gonna be fun. I'm excited. Next week we'll be in Genesis chapter one. Come back then. Let me pray and we'll wrap up. Father, thank you for tonight and this time briefly to look in and around your word. We're so grateful that you didn't just make this world and then disappear into some other place. But Father, you are a caring and loving and gracious God who desires to have a relationship with us. And we are so thankful that not only do you desire that relationship, but that you are the one who makes it possible, that you offered yourself so that we could be made right with you. Thank you for that. Thank you that we can sing because we have been forgiven, that the weight of our sin has been removed, that the guilt and the shame has been cast behind your back and you remember it no more. And so with full hearts and with loud voices, we can lift ourselves up to you in praise. We are so thankful for your grace and how you offer us eternal life and how even tonight we can be drawn near to you. Father, for those who are struggling tonight, would you help them to come forward, to ask questions, give them boldness and courage to talk to somebody about their own hearts and souls. Thank you for this time. We pray that you bless this study into each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.